0: Okay, I'm just going to, have to take a break for a second. Just give me one second while I find my husband. We've got dogs, babies, we got everything. The Weighing Machine was created to help you, the financial advisor or investor, reach your long-term financial goals. Each episode, your hosts, Rusty Vanneman and I, Robin Murray, cut through the market clamor to find the time-tested principles that help investors
1: succeed. The weighing machine is inspired by the classic investing truism attributed to Benjamin Graham. The stock market is a voting machine in the short run and a weighing machine over the long term. In other words, emotion drives short-term market movement, but fundamentals and valuations drive returns over time. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. Enjoy, and as always, let us know what you think.
0: On the podcast today, the market stumbles as the oil market collapses and countries around the world try to get their economies back online.
1: We will also discuss government and Fed action to prop up the economy and the impact of a major cash drawdown. That's with our guest, Chief Investment Officer at CLS Investments, Mark Pfeffer, plus my interviews with Mark Nobby, Investment Specialist at the Capital Group. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. I'm Rusty Manneman.
0: And I'm Robin Murray. So let's start with a look at the markets. Um, At first, it looked like the low point on March 23rd was likely the bottom as there was a significant recovery for several weeks after that. However, volatility remains very high. And in recent days, the market has slumped considerably. The oil market has crashed in just unprecedented ways. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. But Rusty, what are we watching in the markets right now?
1: Well, Robin, as you said, volatility is the word. And we're just seeing massive and epic and historical volatility, whether we're talking stock market, bond market, commodity markets, the oil market. And quite frankly, as investment managers, uh, volatility is opportunity. Uh, but, you know, really for most investors, volatility is really destabilizing. So I like to say it's a great time to be an investment manager, but it's even a more important time to be an investment counselor to kind of Work with people through these volatile times. So, what we're watching right now is just all the volatility, and we're probably going to be in this sort of environment for a while.
0: So, as I mentioned, the biggest news in recent days is the collapse of the oil market. It went into negative territory on Monday for the first time in history. So, basically, if you're buying oil, someone will pay you to to take it off your hands. Uh, Rusty, how significant is this, and what are the potential ramifications for the economy and the markets?
1: Well, significant is, that word is just not strong enough. I mean, again, you know, using the words epic and historical, crazy, I mean, whatever you want to say. I mean, many years ago in the early 90s, I actually created uh, a product for the uh, energy market. I was actually working with bond or uh, energy traders, trading a whole energy complex when energy prices were in the low teens. And uh, that was a very interesting time. But obviously, it wasn't a great time to have an energy product. But uh, what's going on in the energy markets right now, it's just really a combination of a couple things. things. One, we've had an oversupply issue really even before COVID-19 really shut down the economy. And obviously, demand has has just plummeted. Um, demand from like the travel industry is down 95%. Uh, gas demand is down 50%. Refinery demand is down 25%. It's just bad across the board. Nonetheless, going negative prices is just beyond crazy. But that is a little bit of um, that's a little bit of curveball. I mean, really, more realistically, you need to look at uh, oil prices a little bit farther out, a few months out. And in that case, we're still in the teens, and prices are very low. So what does that mean? Obviously, near term, it's really important. I'm glad we have Mark Baffer on here because he's a fixed income expert. And one of the key things to watch is what energy prices are going to do for the corporate bond market. That is huge and very important to watch because if there's a massive stress to corporate bonds, particularly high yield, that could have far-reaching impact. At this point, it seems like we're in a good spot. We can let Mark talk about that later on. But going down the road, obviously, with oil prices this low, it is a huge dividend or a huge plus to the consumer. When things start getting back on track, which they will, the fact that we have energy prices so low is just going to be one more massive plus for the economy and for consumers. So some other data points that has investors worried are uh,
0: retail sales, which follow more than most people expected, and also predictions for GDP. Uh, Goldman Sachs predicted the economy will shrink 34% in the second quarter. How realistic do you think that is? And how are we expecting further economic news to impact the markets?
1: Well, again, we're in such a, a time period where these numbers are just going to be just mind boggling in terms of how significantly they are, how 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 massively negative they are. Um the Goldman Sachs number down 34%. You know, they could be right. I mean it could even be more than that. I think the consensus number right now is more like negative five to ten percent, but I think that's because people really don't have a frame of reference. Either way, it's gonna be really bad. In terms of how we should react to it, in terms of as investors, the key thing to think about two things, of course. One is the markets do move before the economy does. So like, for instance, second quarter uh, GDP numbers really aren't going to come out until the middle of the summer. So um, the market's going to move well before that. And so that's item number one. And number two, it's, it's actually investors will be looking for the data to start getting less bad, uh, less bad relative to expectations. Of course, when I just say expectations, I think the consensus numbers right now are trying to find their footing because you know, we don't really have a great frame of reference. But anyway, uh, in terms of the economic data, looking for things that get less bad and probably the data point to look at because uh, you need higher frequency data uh, and it probably is like initial claims that come out on Thursdays. Now, again, we've talked about how employment data is tend to be lagging and often it has kind of a, investors kind of can use it in a counterintuitive way. In other words, when those numbers are bad, um, usually that's a better time to invest than, than, um, than to sell. But anyway, initial claims is probably more relevant at this point. And once initial claims start to get materially better, or I should say materially less bad, then I think that is actually be a positive for the economy. Well, new cases
0: of the coronavirus have begun to level off and even decline overall around the world. There's still hot spots that are surging. Um, But some countries are beginning to reopen. And what are we watching for as the global economy starts to come back online?
1: Well, I think the big discussion is what kind of recovery we're going to have. And there's different terms that are out there. And I'll just kind of walk through a couple of them. Um, One is sort of the V-shaped, which is probably the most optimistic in terms of how fast the economy contracted, the economy will quickly come back. That is a possibility, but probably more likely is other scenarios. One would include something called a U-shape, where... Obviously, we dropped off fast. Uh, we'll come back relatively fast, but unlike the markets where you can just put in a buy order today, I mean, you just can't just restart a business. So it will take a little more time to kind of bring things back online. I think that actually is a more plausible scenario, but there are other scenarios too. There, there's something called the the square root recovery, uh, which actually has a pretty decent probability where uh, once we start coming back online, we'll, we'll see a pretty sharp um, uh, above average growth in terms of statistical numbers but kind of once we kind of get that tide comes back in we'll have slow growth right after that and then of course there is what people are calling the L-shaped and it is a possibility and this basically means that uh, obviously we've had a sharp contraction and we're basically not going to have any sort of recovery or very minimal recovery in the quarters ahead which is more reminiscent like um like a great depression now the odds of that you know you got to put some um probability to that, but i think those are very low odds at this point
0: well let's bring in our guest chief investment officer of CLS investments mark pfeffer calling in from new york hey mark welcome to the weighing machine hi robin thanks so last time we talked new york was in the early days of its lockdown it's been a few weeks now and that lockdown has been extended through at least may 15th if i have that right so first what's the view from new york
2: we've gotten accustomed to living like this um I don't know if this that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, we are a very resilient, <laughs> uh, certainly, country, and as well as in New York, we have gotten used to this. That doesn't mean that uh, people aren't getting sort of cooped up. Uh, I try to get outside almost every single day, at least for a walk on a day that it's not raining. Um, and right now, I think there's number one concern. There's um, caution in terms of the actions that people are taking. And I think there's, um, I guess some sort of resigning... Um, f- uh, feeling that we're not going to just return to normalcy, at least in New York, for a while. Um, it's great that other parts of the country seem like they're going to be recovering faster, just given that the epidemic didn't hit as hard in other places. So I think the mindset in New York, just given that you know, we I work with all these people in Omaha and, and speak to people around the country on a regular basis, but it just seems like the uh, The cautionary tale is a little bit more prevalent in New York than it is in other places. I'm optimistic that we'll have a recovery uh, at some point and that things will feel much more normal uh, at some point in time. I do believe that New York is gonna take a little bit longer to get to that point.
0: Let's talk about action from Washington. A second round of federal aid is on its way to small businesses and there is still talk, although no action yet, of an additional stimulus bill that could involve possibly infrastructure spending. Basically, the government is not done okay. propping up the economy, and the Fed continues to be active too. Mark, you wrote about some of the significant actions taken by the Fed in your most recent weekly three. What do we need to know about the Fed's
2: response? Yeah, as I said, I think the Fed has been amazing in their response. Um, you know, we talked about this about a month or two ago, that they they really started with um, the plumbing of the repo markets and the fed and the money markets in terms of their concerns there. So they had increased their pace of buying to just include treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. And as time went on, they had to up their game in terms of securities that they were going to step in. So now they are looking to help the municipal market. They're looking to help the even the highest end of the high yield market, and what that has done since then it has given investors more confidence that they can step back into buying those securities, knowing that there's another buyer out there, that it's not just uh, individuals going out there that are buying um, those types of securities. So I do think it has been a huge help. So on top of just getting the Fed funds rate to zero and increasing currency, they're, they're willing to buy every type of security out there. Um, so I think it's been fantastic, and we have seen the fixed income markets uh, recover uh, of, of, at twenty between twenty five and fifty percent of the losses that had occurred over this downturn uh, over the last month or so. So I think that is a good. That is good to see. So
0: companies around the country are drawing down cash from large banks, which have been willing to accommodate for the time being. Um, Alec Liu, Senior Investment Research Analyst at CLS Investments, wrote a section in the Weekly 3 about the impact that this cash drawdown is having. Uh, What was his message there?
2: So what he wrote about is he stated that most companies now have agreements with the banks to ensure that there'll be a set amount of cash that will be available that they can tap into. So, uh, and banks are keeping this cash readily available until it is used. Um, One of the things that we had seen when the banks reported their earnings this week they all talked also about loan provisions, that they're all taking a certain amount of cash, unfortunately, in case some of those companies that tap it um, won't be able to pay it back. The amount of cash that they're being tapped into is, is about 200, it's over $220 billion, so it's a significant amount of money. Uh, it's probably a good sign for the health of the economy, he talked about, and companies in the near term that certainly should keep them afloat. My bigger concern is what happens when this runs out and the economy does open up And if we don't get people back running uh, as fast as is expected or hoped for, what will happen then? But banks should certainly be commended for their willingness to extend credit lines to keep these companies afloat, uh, much more so than they did in the financial crisis back in 2008. And we are seeing this news echoed as well in Europe. There has been a $126 billion drawdown so far as of April 20th. And what's going on is we're seeing that the capital markets based on this debt that's being raised is seeing a lot of issuance. We had actually a record amount of issuance in March of 2020, and we're still seeing signs that, you know, because there are plenty of people here that are are very, very attracted to the double-digit yields that you're getting on plenty of these enterprises that will be around after this crisis has long gone. So there are positive signs that are wanting to keep these companies afloat. And the world running, uh, and it's as I said, it's a statement of confidence that some of the best risk managers in the world that are willing to buy these debt obligations of these companies.
0: Well, that's going to do it for this portion of the podcast. Hey, Mark, take care, stay healthy. Thanks for being on the show today.
2: Thanks for having me again.
0: Next up is Rusty's Q and A, and today he talks to Mark Nobby, who's the investment specialist at the Capital Group. What'd you guys
1: talk about? Well, we talked about a lot of stuff. So, first of all, Mark is from the Capital Group. Again, that is the investment firm that manages the American Funds so that I know a lot of advisors know about. Um, he's been in the industry 30 years. Uh, he has brings a wealth of wisdom to the interview. And of course, as we're getting set up for the podcast today, I just found out, of course, that Mark Nobby is friends with Mark Pfeffer. So that would have been cool to actually have Mark on that podcast. But either way, it's still a great interview and I and, uh, hope everybody enjoys it. All
0: right, let's take a listen.
1: Today's guest on The Weighing Machine is Mark Nobby, Investment Specialist at the Capital Group. A lot of people know Capital Group as they manage the American funds. Welcome to The Weighing Machine, Mark. Thanks for having me. Well, first of all, you are, looking at your background, you are a Big Ten guy. I'm based here in Omaha, and I know you're based in New York, but University of Michigan, and all I know is they just kick Nebraska's butt at every sport all the time. So welcome to the
3: show. Well, thank you, and uh, look, I uh, I was very fortunate to see uh, a lot of good things happen in my day uh, at Michigan from a, a national championship standpoint, so.
1: Not too shabby.
3: Well, let's, before we, you know,
1: I got to ask arguably the most important question of the whole podcast, and I do have 10 questions for you, but the very first question has to be uh, what your walk-up song is. You know, a walk-up song is like when a baseball player comes up to bat or I know it's a big thing, like in Silicon Valley, before presentations, before people come out and do their pitch, there's like a walk-up song. Just for an example, to give you a little time to think about it, my walk-up song is by a group called Radiohead. And the song is called I Might Be Wrong. So that's
2: my walk-up song. What's your walk-up song?
3: I have to tell you, that is such a great thing to ask uh, people. Um, and, and, you know, look, I'm a suffering New York Mets fan, for those that don't know. it's It's been a very long road uh, where we really haven't had much in the way of championships, um, World Series championships, but I've I've gone to many games and I have uh, great uh, memories from it. So my walk up song, as I think this through, is, you know what, my walk up song would be "Running Down a Dream" by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Ah. Great opening song. You come in and kind of the guitars strumming. So that that's my song, and it has some the, the lyrics are really good too for that. Nice.
1: Nice. Cool. Good selection. All right. I guess we'll go to the more boring questions now. No, i just kidding. Well, first of all, the big one is tell us a little bit more about yourself and, of course, the Capital Group.
3: Okay. Um, well, first of all, and again, I want to thank you for having me. Um, so I've been in the business for over 30 years. I started off um, with a, a CPA, Certified Public Accountant. And I got into this business as an investment analyst. I was covering, uh, at the time, um, the cable television sectors. Uh, Then I covered the satellite communication sectors, like Direct TV, Dish Network, and some of the satellite radio companies. Uh, And then I moved over and started to work on the investment management side. So I worked at Morgan Stanley and Merrill Lynch for 15 years, along with UBS covering those various sectors. And I've been at Capital for now six years. And what I do is I represent the investment group's views to all of our clients. Uh, and also one of the other responsibilities is I I ensure that our, our separately managed accounts have the convictions of our portfolio managers and analysts placed into them. So uh, I've had a very nice uh, career, and it's re- I'm really very fortunate to be working at the Capital Group.
1: Yeah, well, Capital Group, of course, is one of the top investment firms in the industry, and actually has been for many decades. Tell us a little bit about the firm's investment philosophy. I think there's some unique talking points about the Capital Group, and particularly about the capital system.
3: Yeah, it, it is something. And again, I, I've known our firm uh, when I was an analyst over the years. Um, you know, a lot of the portfolio managers and investment analysts were my clients, and. I've always been so intrigued with the capital system, which was started in in the 1950s. Just so everyone knows that you know uh, Capital Group's been around since the 1930s. But what we did was we um, we're a firm that ha- doesn't have one view. We're a firm that has actually multiple views, and there's no one lead portfolio manager. We have multiple portfolio managers that invest, uh, and really there are three equity. Uh, investment objectives in mind. One is long-term growth of capital. The second is income. And the third is preservation of capital. And what the, uh, we have various strategies at hand on these various funds and and the multiple portfolio manager system, which I said has been in the 1950s, is what it has done is it, it enables us to have diversification of thought. But we also have concentration because you you do have investment analysts that represent viewpoints on a weekly basis, and they try to get uh, people to invest alongside with them. But not everyone has to agree. And if you look over long periods of time, what that's done is it's dampened the volatility of the funds. And obviously, in a, in a market environment we're in today, that's what you try to do. But it also has high conviction and viewpoints uh, in addition and you'll see you now the our average fund has a larger concentrations than the average benchmark. So that's what the capital system has done and done successfully for decades.
1: Well, a question I want to get to later is definitely the uh, the role of active management and the conviction in the active use. of so one thing I just want to mention, I just thought of it is you know, a great book, of course I'm saying it's a great book, I hope you think it's great too, is a book by Charlie Ellis on the cap group. Um, the story of long-term excellence or something like that. It's kind of a generic title. It's Capital. It's called Capital by Charlie Ellis, which is a great book. And for fans of the, of the Capital Group and the American Funds, it's, it's a great read, I think. The next question is, is, in terms of some of the strategies that are available on Orion Portfolio Solutions, tell us about some of those strategies and just a bullet point form. Uh, you know, like, What kind of investors would they be most appropriate for?
3: So when you look at the um, the various strategies, we have conservative growth and income, growth and income, growth and global growth, right? Those are the opportunity sets that are available, and and why that's so important is, as I said to you earlier, every one of um, the various, there's, it's an amalgamation of of, of portfolios in there, and, and we have three investment objectives at hand, and we don't box fit, right? We try to find opportunity sets where Just as a reminder, we are, as Rusty, you said, an active manager. We are bottom-up fundamental investors. We buy companies, we don't buy sectors, we don't buy countries, Uh, we buy companies, and and our holdings are very long-term, so we have low turnover. But long-term growth of capital and, again, income and preservation of capital are all kind of related in different aspects of the various um, opportunities in the OPS system, whether it's conservative growth and income, which will have more lower volatile strategy, will probably represent all three of those objectives at hand, long-term growth of capital and income and preservation of capital. Your growth and income will be more long-term growth of capital and also um, some elements of income. Growth will be long-term growth of capital uh, again. And global growth would also have some of our more global oriented funds that are trying to find opportunities not just within the United States for US domiciled companies but outside of the United States and I'll give you an interesting fact because we always hear so much about what's happening in the world and the US has been the best place to invest one of the things to to be mindful of is if you look at the top 50 companies around the world all right as far as the best returning companies so again top 50 companies per year over the last 10 years, three-quarters of them have come from outside of the United States. So it's not all about the U.S. There are some great opportunities and a global growth strategy that has a new perspective in their fund that's been around since 1973. We'll be able to capitalize on that.
1: That was juicy. Let me kind of tease that out a little bit. So global investing, which obviously makes, I think, intuitive sense and long-term track records... Um, it makes sense in terms of historical risk-adjusted performance, but obviously global investing really hasn't worked in recent years because domestic large-cap growth stocks have really dominated. So Capital Group, first of all, do they c- recommend a strategic weight to international for investors? And, and I guess related to that, it, r- r- relative to that strategic weight, is there a tactical emphasis right now to over- or underweight international?
3: So that's a great uh, question, Rusty. And what I'll kind of do it. am going to do it another way, if you don't mind. Uh, and I because I gave that fact earlier. We've been living in uh, because of interest rates have been falling, and they have not just falling right now, but they've been falling for the last ten years, where we've seen uh, either zero or negative interest rates in certain parts of the region, and we've also been living in a low growth world, and that has enabled innovators. And by the way, there are a lot of innovation technology companies located in the United States. But what people have to recognize is, and because you talked about tactical allocations, as I said earlier, we buy companies. And you'll say, oh, an international benchmark hasn't done as well. And the reason being is because they have more cyclical value oriented companies. They're not as uh, have as much innovation in there. Uh, So why I wanted to provide that dynamic of top returning holdings over the last 10 years, uh, three-quarters of them have come from outside of the U.S. is because we are finding great opportunities, whether in the emerging markets, whether in the developed world in Europe or Japan, they've been specific companies. And uh, we are still finding some great companies. I can think of some of the semiconductors, for example, Taiwan Semiconductor or a semiconductor equipment name like ASML, both companies which recently reported healthy earnings, and they're located outside of the U.S. and they're innovators. Or I can look at some of the, uh, the biotech companies in the U.S., which have done nicely, or again, some of the U.S. domiciled technology companies. So I just provide that as context as it's not about a, a, a specific region. It's about finding the great companies on a long-term basis.
1: That's a great argument. So, I mean, I always argue for global investing because as an investor, you just want a larger opportunity set. And the larger opportunity set gives you obviously more chances to potentially enhance returns, but also to reduce risk. All right. So I want to go back to um, a topic that we're kind of talking about a little bit earlier, and that is uh, active management. Kind of like global investing, sort of active management really hasn't worked in recent years. But obviously, uh, Capital Group has a different take on that. So, my question to you is, when do you think active management will start working again? And related to that, what should investors
3: look for in a good active manager? So uh, a couple of things I'll point to, and you, you had cited uh, the capital system and the book that was written by uh, Charlie Ellis. And I only wanted to bring up is, what is a durable and repeatable process? It's not about a key person, right? We don't have one individual managing all the assets of our of of our for our shareholders we have multiple portfolio managers they manage anywhere from 5 to 15% of a portfolio by the way just so you everyone knows we also don't have theoretical investment analysts we have analysts that invest real people's real money a slice of all of these funds have a research portfolio where the Top highest conviction opportunities are placed into those portfolios, and the investment uh, portfolio managers see that. And you had asked earlier about active management. One of the things um, I think many of us are, are very um, happy about is the right word because I, I, it's not, you, you shouldn't be happy when you lose people's money uh, in this downturn, but we lost less money. And so we tried to protect people on the downside as best one can. And what that's done is, and you can see this for various of our funds, over long periods of time, having that kind of downside uh, capture, better downside capture, has led to outsized long-term results. And one of the things uh, that also is happening, and it's something that's really important, particularly for dividend-paying companies, we've gone from a, a world of where we've had a shareholder contract. And what I mean by that, so everyone knows, is, A shareholder contract was you had a company. The company had a contract with a shareholder that they were going to be paying a dividend if they could pay a dividend. And that was really how it worked. In times of duress, those dividend-paying companies went down less than uh, those that did not pay a dividend because you had that, that consistency of income. Well, the world's changed where we've gone from a shareholder contract more towards a social contract. And what I mean by that is that you have governments now making decisions for industries. I can think of the European financial services industry, both the banks uh, and, by the way, some of the UK insurance um, uh, regulators that have announced their desires for companies, even though they could pay a dividend, that they should suspend or defer a dividend. And so what that means is, is that an active manager like the Capital Group which has been investing in dividend paying companies over very long periods of time, decades, is gonna be able to connect the dots through our bottom-up fundamental research to figure out what industries, regulators, CEOs uh, are willing to pay those dividends versus not, versus just buying a benchmark. And you're gonna start to see some divergence occur, in my opinion, uh, over the next quarter's years as this happens?
1: I mean, I think the the thing about the the capital group as well, I mean, the, just the track record. Uh, one thing that you didn't mention, which I think is, and I, I've been in the industry for 30 years, mostly doing manager due diligence, and, and uh, I found that usually the managers that have the great and the better long-term track records, they usually pick up that relative performance in the down market. So I think it's a key point. All right, so... Getting to the current environment, obviously, we live in very unique times, not only the returns in the headlines, obviously historic, you know, biggest ever, worst ever type stuff, volatility has just exploded. What is uh, Capital Group's current assessment of the market environment? And I guess kind of twist a little bit more, what is something about the environment that's kind of exciting and what about the current environment gives you the most concern?
3: So we are living in unprecedented times, and I know they could say, "Oh well, we've always we've seen some of this in the global financial crisis of 2008-9. Oh, we saw a valuation bubble in 2000. Uh, we saw the 1987 crash. This is different. This is different in the sense of we are in a, a demand shock. Um, there is the central banks around the world are providing significant levels of liquidity. By the way." Um, what well, we need to kind of restart the engine of the world, and that means we need to find companies that are going to be have sustainable growth. And remember, I said earlier, Rusty, if we were talking about this earlier, we were talking about the fact that we're living in a low growth world. We're living in a world that's even lower, going to have lower growth. We are going to see a global recession, um, but. At the same time, there are gonna be companies that are gonna be able to capitalize on their innovation, the digitization, and they will have, I'll give you examples, Microsoft, I can think of Microsoft and their web-based service of Azure seeing significant demand in their, in their products. I think of um, you know, delivery service companies like Domino's. Again, these are represented in our portfolios and have been for years. I can think of obviously Amazon top holdings in many of our funds. I know, but you know, this sounds commonplace, but you know what? These are durable businesses that are very well capitalized. And they will be getting a premium compared to the rest of the market because growth is scarce. And when there's growth is scarce, you need to do your kind of bottom up fundamental research to find those opportunities and new opportunities. And it's not just going to come from a benchmark on the other side, I mentioned earlier about dividends and things are only going to get in our opinion worse before it gets better. Because what could happen is you have the effects of non U S governments making decisions for companies about paying dividends. And by the way, those, they don't realize the importance of how much people need income and with rates as low as they are they're going to have to find it elsewhere from aside from fixed income and go to equities and they're cutting out industries from that so the dynamic of trying to find dividend paying companies that are by the way sustainable dividend paying companies and i'm only bringing something up because it happened yesterday Johnson and Johnson just raised their dividend. They have they have a great balance sheet. And I'm providing that is it's trying to find those companies and they will get a premium to the market as well. So quality dividend payers, quality growth companies are going to really be a, a place that people are going to kind of hide in.
1: And Ryan, when we when we look at new or existing uh, investment strategists or strategies we have our due diligence process and we look at like everybody has, there's the P's of due diligence and you know there's three Ps or five Ps or nine P's or you know, you can just keep going on and on, but we have our five P's as well. It's people, philosophy process, parent, and the last one is partner. Because one of the things we're looking for uh, in investment strategists are those that provide uh, resources for advisors to ultimately help investors succeed and reach their long-term goals. We think the good firms is, it isn't just about manufacturing a rate of return, but of course, it's all the other support that goes with it. Again, to help advisors, help investors. What and And I think the Capital Group does a phenomenal job on my own in terms of the information that I get. But what do you recommend for advisors and investors in this environment, whether it's Capital Group or
3: even outside of Capital Group? Something that you just said about peas, I, I call one of our firm's um, one of the key things of success. Remember, I told you about the multiple portfolio manager system. I call it the four C's. Why the firm has been successful in ensuring the the uh, the, the lives of others and helping them to you know better their for themselves for retirement, other things, is because of collaboration, camaraderie cooperation and also calibration every one of our portfolio managers was an analyst at a firm and that just the average tenure of a pm has been in excess of 20 years when people work well together and they kind of know their strengths and they don't and they know some of their not strengths um not, what's so important is that you can calibrate your portfolios based upon others so what we're trying to do is from a resource standpoint i'll give everyone an example Uh, and, and why this has worked so well for such a long period of time for our shareholders. Number one, we don't just have equity people, we have fixed income people. We have 300 people, we have 13 offices all over the world. And I know I used the word connect the dots before, but think about it. We have people that can look at the whites of the eyes of the customers, talk to the corporate executives, and also talk to suppliers, not just in a region where we're global, right? We have offices of investment associates all over the world. Number two, we talk to our fixed income counterparts and our equity counterparts, and they do things, they really do things, they kind of tear apart the balance sheets to ensure these companies will be successful. Another very important distinction, and we've had this for decades now. And the third is, I know I talked about the types of things we do globally, but let me tell everyone how many meetings we did, because I think it's important. Meeting with uh, all these various companies, we had twelve thousand five hundred meetings last year. We, as active managers, met with companies, and it does it doesn't just help with a company; it helps with an industry. And in the mar- month of March alone, because we were all sheltered in place, working from home, we did six hundred virtual meetings with corporate executives, and it really helped us fine-tune our portfolios of how things are going. So I hope that helps you uh, as it relates to you know what I'm trying to possess as what Capital Group does.
1: All right. So the industry, the investment in management industry, obviously, is always undergoing change. And the Capital Group has been around for decades and has successfully navigated all of these changes. But given all this rapid change, how has your firm adapted to it?
3: So uh, we historically have been what known as a firm that has um, mutual funds right 40 act mutual funds that was you know 95 or so percent of the assets uh, over the years and we've adapted so for example uh, one of my responsibilities as a vehicle portfolio manager where i ensure that our other opportunity sets of vehicles as i call them whether it's a separate account whether it's a Luxembourg fund for non-US investors, whether it's a separately managed account because people have different viewpoints of stock ownership uh, of owning a stock, but uh, versus a mutual fund. We've been, and we've also created strategies, right? We have now as we, uh, on your platform, We in Orion, right, we have various portfolio series where we take an amalgamation of our funds based upon risk tolerance of individuals. So we've we've definitely adapted to the needs of what our shareholders are well suited for on a long term basis. But the process of what we do, which is long term, bottom up, fundamental investing hasn't changed and will always be the bedrock of what we've done through the since the 30s.
1: And I have to feel in this current market environment, after an 11-year bull market where beta worked, you know, just being in the market, I think that given some of the dislocation, there's a lot of opportunity for active managers and a a firm like the Capital Group is, I think, well-positioned for that environment. Well, Mark, this has been really great. Um, In closing, uh, how can listeners learn more about the Capital Group? And in closing words.
3: One recommendation is go to, obviously, the, our website, capitalgroup.com or theamericanfunds.com, uh, and, and you can learn about our various um, portfolios. But Rusty, I'm sure you also are able to uh, provide people uh, necessary information for Orion's um, series that we provide to all of you. And We do. We have that for sure. Well, Mark, again, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me on the call. And I, and I really want everyone to be uh, as healthy to the, um, out to these people along with their families. So thank you.
0: Good stuff. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Rusty, take us out with your final thoughts.
1: Stay balanced and stay the course and stay well.
0: We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening to The Weighing Machine. And thank you for your time and trust in Orion Advisor Solutions. The Weighing Machine is hosted by Rusty Vanneman, Chief Investment Officer at Orion Advisor Solutions, and me, Robin Murray, freelance writer and editor. If you have feedback or questions about our podcast today, please send us a note at rusty at orion.com.